And uh, the final heist is, uh, I almost said Wrigley Field. (laughs) 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 Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. You notice he's bigger than you? Yes. And younger? Yes. Bet on him if you like. I may! Hello, everybody. It is Recotopia episode 66. I'm Chris Atkinson. I'm Jeremy Scott. And hello, everybody over there in the chat who have come out here on a Tuesday to watch us talk about movies and Mountain Dew and Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and food. Um, uh, how are you doing today, Jeremy? I'm doing quite well, better than average, I would say. Nice. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, all right. So, do you have any small recommends for us today? It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small, it's tiny, it's petite, it's wee. I do, I really do. Um, my wife and I uh, took a little weekend trip, um, and uh, it was hot as hell and raining the entire time, and so we spent a lot of time in our room, and we watched a couple of movies. Um, the one that I'm going to small recommend right here is The Artifice Girl. Mm. Uh, I have tweeted about it on both of the Twitter accounts that I maintain, um, uh, business and corporate or business and personal. And uh, I'm telling everyone I know about this movie um, because I think this is a filmmaker to watch. Uh, The writer, director, and star uh, is Franklin Wright. No, Rich, R-I-T-C-H. This movie is in theaters and indie places here and there. and you can rent or buy it on Amazon, which is where I found it. And I had already seen tweets from a lot of Hollywood people that I follow about how good this movie is and to check it out. And so I don't want to say too much about this movie, but I will tell you a little bit. It's told in three acts. It would make an amazing play. I'm sure somebody will adapt it one day. Uh, in the first act, a man played by Franklin uh, is brought in by two authorities, a man and a woman. Uh, under false pretenses and pretty quickly realizes that he's a suspect and that they actually work for FBI-ish kind of group. Um, And he is suspected of uh, child pornography uh, dissemination online because in their investigation, one username keeps coming up connecting all of the cases and it's his. Um, And he fairly quickly this is not going to be a spoiler but this is about the last thing i'm going to tell you fairly quickly he reveals that it's the opposite he is uh fishing for pedophiles and anonymously sending information to these people who have been arresting these people um and there is a young female child at the center of a lot of these catfishes uh and the authorities are concerned that he is misusing a child, mm. but it's actually an AI that he's created that 
is that realistic and able to respond in real time via hmm. video. Um, and that's where I'm going to stop. Um, hmm. That, that hmm. scene goes on for a little bit, and then you jump ahead about five years, and the same three characters who are now working together to investigate things. And then the third act jumps ahead, got to be 30, 40 years. Mm, um, damn. And uh, that's when Lance Henriksen comes in and starts playing. Oh, nice. Um, this engrossed me. Um, mm. There's only three sets. The camera work is minimalist. Uh, the performances are good. Uh, but what draws you in is the plot. It is perfectly timed for where we're living right now with deep fakes and chat gpt or whatever um it gave me the same kind of exit feeling that ex machina and arrival gave me in mm. terms of the themes of, it, it's asking such important questions about humanity uh and autonomy uh and ethical questions with regard to where we are inevitably going to go, uh, which is AI that is indiscernible from reality. Um, and what does that mean? What, what does that look like? Whatever it costs to rent on Amazon, I'm pretty positive it's worth it if you think you're interested from what I've said so far. Uh, yeah. An hour and a half, it's a thinker, um, and uh, I just can't say enough good about it. It's really, really good. So there you go. Well, I'm definitely interested in this. I need to see this. Uh, I saw I saw you tweeting about it, and I want to. Uh, yeah, I need to watch this because this is right up my alley. This is the type of movie that I'd love, probably. <sighs> yeah, The Artifice Girl. Go see it. Yep. Um. Okay. I uh, went back. I went back to 1984, Jeremy. Remember where you were in 1984? Mm-hmm. I do. And uh, I. Uh, I have seen this movie several times, but I uh, ran across it uh, again. I wanted to see it. Um, I see it again. Uh, Body Double, uh, Brian De Palma's <laughs> uh, movie that uh, he made, I think, right after Scarface. He was getting back into his like true De Palma self with this movie. Um, but uh, I, I will, I will forewarn this movie's ending has never made sense to me. What, uh, even if, even if you throw in some interpretations of it, uh, it still like doesn't entirely make sense. And, uh, uh, someone's asking if it's on the criterion channel. Yes. That's where I ran across it. Um, the, um, so the story is it's uh, it stars this guy named Craig Wasson. He's in a lot of stuff. I think back in this day, I haven't seen him much, uh, since, since this era, I don't really think he looks like Bill Maher to me a lot. Hmm. Um, but, uh, Craig Wasson is a struggling actor who is, uh, at the very beginning of this movie, he is filming, uh, some sort of low rent vampire movie that Dennis Franz is the director, uh, plays the director of this movie, director of this. And, um, and, uh, he, uh, we see very early on that he has claustrophobia. He's in a, the, the scene that he's in, he's in a, he's in a coffin at the beginning and he, he has to, he has to act a certain way. And because he's in this closed space, he just freezes and, uh, and, and then they have to like quit 
filming for the day and everything. He comes home early. And of course he sees his girlfriend having sex with another man. And he has to, uh, uh, he wants to, now he needs to leave his house and he needs to find uh, another place to live. And, uh, so he's going on all these auditions and he tells a friend of his that he's looking for some place to live and up comes this, uh, this guy who's at the audition, uh, played by Greg Henry, Greg Henry was, has been in a ton of stuff. I bet, I bet he's got a hundred credits on the IMDb. Um, he comes up and, and, uh, and starts, uh, starts showing up everywhere. Wasson shows up, uh, and eventually he says, Hey, I've got this place that I've been house sitting for the guy is always gone. And I'm going to, I was going to, uh, I was going to house sit for him for X amount of uh, time, but I need to leave. I need to go to some other place. So why don't you help me house sit this place while I'm gone? So basically just dumping the house sitting duties on, on him. And so they get to, uh, they get to the, the place that they're house sitting and they're like, here's all the things. This is place has got a bar. It's got a revolving bed. It's got, uh, you know, and also it has binoculars <laughs> where you can look down and see at the same time every night, this woman <laughs> dancing in front of the window and uh, other assorted, uh, sexual things, uh, while, um, and it's like, uh, so yeah, it's, it's like clockwork. Don't worry about it. You know, if you want to come see the show, do see the show. So of course, Greg Henry leaves and Craig Wasson is, uh, is, uh, at this place. And of course he goes over to the, to the telescope to look at, uh, the woman every night. And of course the first night he sees the, he sees the show the next, the next night though, she's just sleeping in her bed and she notices somebody walking in and like apparently stealing money, but you find out quickly that it's her boyfriend or husband or something. And, uh, he's abusive to her and he takes the money, hits her and leaves. And then the next night it gets even weirder. He looks out, he looks out. And then there's like this, this guy dressed up at, well, I don't know. He's a, he's a saddle. He's like pretending to be a satellite guy. I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> he's on top of the satellite and he's got this grotesque looking face and, uh, and he's, he's looking at, uh, and this is when the show, the, 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 finally the show is going on again. Uh, he's looking at her. So the, so Craig Wasson is looking through his telescope, sees this guy, look other guy looking at her. And all of a sudden he's like, that's not right. <laughs> that's a kind of an interesting thing that De Palma puts in here where it's like when you observe someone also peeping on someone and then you become like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. Um, and uh, so he starts to uh, he starts to become infatuated with this girl. And he starts following her around and he starts to notice the dude that he saw on the satellite dish following her around too. And she, and he looks dangerous and there's no idea what he's, what, what he's planning to do. And, um, and, and ultimately, uh, he witnesses that this is, I'm trying to think if the, I'm trying to think if this is a spoiler, I don't, I'm going to, I think I'll just stop there. He witnesses something. I'll say he witnesses something through the, through the telescope. And he needs to find out what happened End ends up, uh, you know, uh, there are other people who end up in this movie include Melanie Griffith, who's playing a porn star in this. 
but uh but it's a very it's a very interesting movie it's got it's got shades of rear window and it's got shades of vertigo in it because mm. all the different things that you know that you know from rear rear window where somebody's spying on other people in the, the house and witnessing things and whatever and like whether there's a moral code that you should follow in this type of thing uh and then and then um and then in the vertigo the the whole claustrophobia thing everything every time this guy gets claustrophobia if he gets in the tunnel or if he's in the coffin or whatever like that same sort of almost vertigo thing happens to him where like the tunnels seem a lot way bigger the holes that he that he's in seems like way 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 taller and everything but uh if you like brian de palma movies and his 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 thrillers the this is a this is right up your alley um it is uh like I said, I have never understood the ending of this movie. Never once. I've watched it millions of times and I couldn't tell you exactly what is really going on there. You could say, well, maybe it's this or well, maybe it's that. And every time you say maybe it's this, there's so many little other things that contradict mm. the reason that you come up with. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. I think you guys would like it. Yeah. it's. I mean, I love De Palma. He's one of my favorite directors, and this is mm-hmm. a great one. Uh, I yeah. didn't see it until much later in life. I saw it, I don't know, 2002 or something for the first time, mm-hmm. but uh, <clears throat> yeah, good one. Yeah. Um, uh, by way of segue, uh, the other movie my wife and I watched this weekend was Air by Ben Affleck. Starting oh, Matt there Damon. you go. And, it was, and it's already been small recommended by Chris, um, mm-hmm. but I'm struck by how I, I noticed in watching that movie how good Ben Affleck's sense of place is in terms of he almost turns that Nike headquarters into a character itself mm-hmm. in that he makes it feel so much like home to us. It underscores our rooting for them to succeed. So I went back and watched yesterday another Ben Affleck movie. My small recommend uh, is The Town from 2002. Oh, yeah. Co-starring Jeremy Renner in a performance that I still say is maybe one of his best, if not I the think best. it is. Um, <clears throat> we have Blake Lively, Rebecca Hall, and John Hamm plays uh, the FBI guy who's after Affleck and his crew. Affleck and crew are bank robbers um, from Charlestown, the town. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the son of a famous bank robber who is in jail because he killed a security guard during a I think it was an armored car robbery. Um, is that Pete Postlethwaite? No, Pete Postlethwaite is the the guy that gives them gigs. Uh, oh, that's his dad right. Is Chris Cooper? Um, that's right. That's right. And uh, so there are there are three heists in this movie that basically are your three acts. The one we open with, uh, where they're robbing a bank, uh, and they end up taking Rebecca Hall, who's the assistant manager of the bank, uh, as a kidnap prisoner with them a hostage which is Mm -hmm. not part of the plan and of course affleck is not happy about this um and uh they blindfold her and drop her off at a beach and tell her to wait however many minutes and so she becomes a a key witness for uh, um john ham and the fbi who are going after them um but they got her driver's license and so ben affleck is like i'm gonna check her out make sure she's not talking about us, doesn't know anything about us. Of course, he falls in love with her pretty quickly Mm -hmm. um, and starts dating her. 
but he doesn't tell any of the rest of the gang. And there's an awesome scene where Renner just stumbles upon him sitting at a cafe. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And then Rebecca mm. Hall comes out and he's like, oh, oh my God. Going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and he kind of toys with Affleck in that moment. Uh, the second heist is an armored car heist uh, where they end up getting in a shootout. Uh, and there's an incredible car chase through the tight confines of the Boston downtown streets before they finally make it to the bridge before the cops shut it off. Mm. Um, and now John Hamm is pissed. Uh, he knows exactly who's doing all these robberies. He just can't prove it yet. Um, and uh, the final heist is, uh, I almost said Wrigley Field. Ha! Is <laughs> 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 is where the Boston Red Sox play. Uh, Why well, can't I think Fenway. of the name right now? Fenway. Fenway God damn. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cathedral, they call it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Ben Affleck doesn't want to do it. Pete Postlethwaite basically says, I'll kill your girlfriend if you don't. Uh, so mm-hmm. he agrees to do the gig. Um, again, here is, is Affleck's sense of place in that Fenway becomes like we we know exactly where we are this entire heist uh even when there's a shootout coming from two different directions uh and of course this is a tragedy people are going to die i'm not going to tell you who um but uh it's one of my very favorite movies it's probably still my favorite affleck movie although i think air is going to climb that chart uh and it's currently on hbo max if you'd like to check out the town and (laughs) never seen it before yeah boston's famous wrigley field slabs indeed (laughs) indeed the town is fantastic i can piggyback on that one that's a that's a that's a great one um all right and uh now i'm gonna go to a movie that will not make you feel good whatsoever um this is this is not this is definitely not a feel-good movie i'm just gonna tell you straight up right now and jeremy this does have one of your triggers in it so okay uh just wanted you've seen this movie before i think uh but it's uh sean penn's the pledge which uh, stars jack nicholson um uh this movie um is 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 pretty dark i think it's got some funny moments it's got some levity in it Mm mm-hmm but by the end of the movie, you are going to sort of question, you know, was what, ha- you know, what, what do I feel? I mean, what, what, what am I feeling about all of this by the end? And, uh, and you may not feel too good no matter what way you decide to, to land on. But, um, the, uh, so the story goes, uh, that, uh, there is a, there's a, a little girl that there's a little girl that is uh, raped and murdered. And, uh, there's a kid who sees, uh, uh, someone running around in the area at the time, uh, played by Benicio del Toro. And he's playing a native American who has an intellectual disability. So there's a couple of things there that are kind of, uh, probably wouldn't do that today, but, uh, but, uh, he plays that he plays a character and he's the, he's the guy that ends up being the prime suspect for this murder because he has been in a uh, prison for rape before. Um, and so you have this, uh, police station, Jack Nicholson is a retiring, retiring detective. He's on his last day, of course. Um, and, uh, and there's a young guy who's about to come in, come in and step up and be the man that's Aaron Eckhart plays that guy. Aaron Eckhart is, he's great in this, but his character is, is annoying. And like, he's, he's, he's just one of the, he's just a, a sheer clown in this movie. 
but uh, Aaron Eckhart is in this, and uh, Sam Shepard plays the uh, the police chief. Um, and uh, they they get they they bring Benicio del Toro in, and Aaron Eckhart's like, I'm going to get a confession out of this guy in world record time. So he goes in to the room, and you if you've ever seen any true crime thing where somebody got a confession out of somebody, this is classic uh, type of stuff where, where, you know, of course the person has an intellectual disability and they don't know what's going on half the time in this, in these interrogations, it's all a trick a lot of times. And it's basically just the Aaron Eckhart standing over him saying, Hey, you went out there and you raped that girl, right? You just, and you had to, and you killed her because she, she was, she, she wanted her to quit squirt, to, to quit screaming. He wanted her to do that. And, and finally he just admits it because when someone is, is pressed up against the wall, basically mm. to try to get out of a situation, they'll just tell you whatever they want to get out of it. Um, and so he, he confesses and this is where the trigger moment comes because he steals the gun of one of the cops and then he threatens one of the cops and then they all point guns at him. He ends up taking his own life in there. Now, Jack Nicholson has watched, has been watching this, uh, interrogation very closely and he doesn't think Benicio del Toro did it at all. He thinks this confession is bullshit. And of course it is the way it was gotten is bullshit. So he, there's a point where he has to go and tell the parents, uh, Patricia Clarkson plays the mom of the, the murdered girl. Um, he has to go tell the mom about the about her daughter it has one of the best scenes of the movie in it when the father says i'm gonna go down and i'm gonna see my little girl and jack nicholson's like no i wouldn't i really wouldn't want to do that i know where you're at but you don't want to do that and he goes why wouldn't i want to see my little girl and he goes because half the like because all the people on the force barely dared to do it that's how bad this was and uh and that stops the the father in his tracks because he knows how how terrible this crime is uh patricia clarkson basically tells him at, basically begs him to pledge or promise that he will find whoever did this and that sort of sets the whole thing in motion mm. Uh, that Jack Nicholson is going to be obsessed with this. And he goes through and he does some good investigation, but all the evidence that he comes up with, if you were an objective viewer, you would realize just like all the detectives he's trying to take this to, this is all very circumstantial. And why would we open a case back up uh, for it? There's a, the, 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 the murdered girl drew a picture of a guy that was like a giant who was giving her porcupines or whatever. And he's like, he's like, look at this picture. He, she drew it before, before, uh, before she died, it's a giant giving her porcupines and Sam Shepard and Aaron Eckhart are like, the fuck is this? What does this have to do with anything? You know, like this isn't real evidence. Um, but ne nevertheless, we know that he's right because mm. he's Jack Nicholson and he's the, he's the main, he's the star of this movie but he's, he's triangulated a bunch of other disappearances and killings and they the victims are all similar. So he ends up pretending to continue with his retirement essentially and goes off into this area where all the disappearances and killings have been, been going on. He buys a gas station from Harry Dean Stanton. Um, and, uh, and he ends up sort of like living in this town looking for vehicles that match the one that the, the girl, drew in her in her little drawing and uh and eventually starts seeing all these these people seeing all these people 
and like starts to like sort of come up with a mental uh you know play like mental uh rolodex of people that are going through and like this could be the guy this could be the guy this could be the guy another person he runs into is robin wright who has a daughter who of course is has a similar age daughter and similar similar uh characteristics to all the murdered girls um he he uh she's in an abusive relationship she comes to him for help he says you can stay here if you want to i don't want anything just help out at the gas station every once in a while and whatever so he comes become like a dad to this to this girl and they have this relationship that's starting up they could even get married even um and then as you as the you know as the movie goes on there is a true prime suspect that shows up in his mind and what he does to possibly catch that suspect will have you debating whether it's right or wrong i think it's pretty wrong uh but uh but it's kind of the kind of like a gone baby gone thing where at the end we're like oh yeah they did the right thing and then you'll find somebody else who's like no he did the wrong thing yeah uh but anyway however you slice it the movie ends not in a conventional manner and you are going to be sitting there probably as jack nicholson is at the end of this movie doing exactly what he's doing at the Mm. end of that movie uh so i highly recommend this uh this is going to be a big recommend at some point i actually was going to say make that uh, make this a big recommend um uh so it, it's it, i'll i'll give it some time but i will i'm going to reintroduce this someday so right. anyway there you go i saw it as well as the other one i'm about to mention but i always confuse this with the crossing guard uh, oh yeah same Jack with sean, penn. sean penn and yeah. robin wright um but i don't remember it very well at all so i will when you make that big recommend i will be interested to go back and see it again yeah <clears throat> all right all right i think it's time for the big recommend i'm fine i'm fine it's just that you're so big it's so huge it's a good rule but this is bigger than rules it's bigger on the inside is it i noticed all right now i want to preface a couple things here uh i am not going to pronounce character names specifically uh, the main character, the way the main character pronounces it. Uh, because he, I once saw David Oyelowo interviewed last year, I think, on Kimmel, and he pronounced his name the way it would be pronounced in Africa. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was very interesting. I this encourage you to go look at this. Oh, it's Fallon? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then Fallon starts to say it that way, and David says, don't you do it like that. That right. would be racist. And so <laughs> I, I'm going to go with fully Americanized pronunciations here for Ahmed Ibn Fadlan. I'm not going to put in the extra uh, enunciation the way he did because I mm-hmm. don't think I can do it correctly and I don't want to be racist. Right. Um, also, I said last week this is a 33 on Rotten Tomatoes and I think it deserves to be up in the 70s and I still think that. But let's talk about The 13th Warrior, a movie that is clearly the competing vision of two different men. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is its biggest failing, is that it it ultimately does not feel like a cohesive vision. Uh, What we end up with, in my opinion, is a series of really cool scenes. Um, And it doesn't quite gel the way it should. But let's get into the plot, and along the way, I'll talk about some of my favorite things. We open unnecessarily on a stormy sea with everybody getting rained on, and we see Ahmed Ibn Fadlan. <clears throat> All right? This is immediately flashbacked with narration to 
his origin in this story. He used to be a poet and a nobleman in the most beautiful city in the world, which they do not name. Um, and he sleeps with another man's wife, which for a, a man who shows himself to be a very pious religious person throughout the film, kind of a sin. Um, yeah. And he is then sent as an emissary to the North, uh, which is basically banishment. And Omar Sharif is in this movie yeah. um, briefly. Uh, and he plays the, the friend of his father, who is also his mentor, kind of his confidant. Um, and <clears throat> along the way, um, they get attacked by Tartans, which is basically a band of wild people. Uh, and they race toward the river. And then the Tartans stop attacking them because around the bend of the river comes a Northman ship. And everybody's afraid of the Northmen, even these bandits. Um, and so <clears throat> they dock on the water uh, and they're having a big feast in a tent. And so uh, Ibn Fadlan and Melchizedek, that's Omar Sharif, decide to go in there and, and try to meet the king. Um, and it turns out that the king has died, just died. And this is actually a, a meal to mourn him. And now Bullvi, who I'm going to call Beowulf, uh, even IMDb calls him Beowulf, um, mm -hmm. is uh, now the new leader. Actually, he's not until he's challenged by one guy and he uh, slits his stomach open. And that solidifies his status as the leader. Um, and I love how there's a clash of cultures here that's, that's really fun for me for the first half of the film because he's this rich... You know, prudish proper clean nobleman and these guys you know use the same water to wash their face and then spit back in the bowl and hand it to the next guy mm. uh, they eat like cavemen mm. um, and so he's relatively disgusted with them um, <clears throat> anyway the next morning a boat arrives with a young kid uh, who they eventually learn is the son of a king in the north King of the Lord. Um, yeah, and yes. he's arrived asking for help from Beowulf and his men. And uh, they are being relentlessly attacked by the Wendells. Uh, this mm. is how this story chooses to interpret Grendel. Uh, this is, like I said, it was a, a Beowulf adjacent story. It's not really an adaptation of the Beowulf right. story that you know. Um, <clears throat> but these Wendells, they think, are demons. Uh, and they're killing everyone. Um, and so... Beowulf calls for an oracle, as you do. Uh, and the oracle calls for the bones, as you do. And so she throws the bones and starts yelling out, 13 warriors must go if success is to happen. And the 13th man must be no Northman. And everybody turns and looks mm -hmm. at, at Abed Fadlon. And he takes a few moments to, to kind of catch up and realize, oh, shit, it's me. Um, mm -hmm. And so... Uh, Shortly into the journey, we get probably the standout scene in the entire film and an all-timer scene for me uh, over a series of campfires along the journey as he watches and lip-reads and starts piecing together syllables. And McTiernan is the foot-fucking-master of translation transition scenes because he does yep. something similar in Hunt for Red October. Uh, and obviously, we have to be able to have them speak the same language because there's no translator anymore, and even having a translator for the whole movie would be annoying. Yeah. Um, and he, of course, is noble, is very well educated, and he's very uh, intuitive and smart. Uh, and 
somebody makes a passing reference to him after he's finally kind of caught on to their language about something about this one's mother. And he says, my mother was a good woman and a, a noble birth and <laughs> something better than your mother, you pig sucking <laughs> fucking <laughs> son of a whore or whatever. Uh, and the guy gets mad and he's, they all rush him. And the, where did you learn our language? And it's got a great delivery where Antonio goes, I listened. Uh, <laughs> it makes them laugh and they learn a little, they, he earns a little bit of respect from them uh, in that moment. Uh, and it's one of my very favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, then we go on uh, to the next morning, and they're, they're constantly making fun of his horse because he's got this white Arabian horse, and it's half the size of the Viking horses these Northmen are on, and they keep calling it a dog. And so mm. he goes off and does this, I don't know, steeplechase thing around the water and jumps over the stuff and ends by literally jumping over one of the giant Northmen's horses. Uh, and again, while I think he earns some respect with this, uh, Beowulf cracks the dog can jump. Um, mm. So they're not giving this guy an easy time. Um, and he's probably just as off-putting to them as they are to him. Yeah. Um, so uh, then they get to the village. Uh, they're riding in. Uh, and they, they mention that there's almost no men between 15 and 50. It's all women and children. Um, so at least the attacks are real and the deaths are actually happening. Um, <clears throat> and they go in to see the king, and he we don't hear what he says, but he essentially tells Beowulf um, this fantastic story about the Wendels, which um, the Northmen then talk about being either a legend or something that nobody has claimed to see in hundreds of years. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's a child running down uh, the mountainside, uh, and they race, and he's bloody and injured, uh, and uh, the queen of this village knows who this child is, and she leads the Northmen to uh, his home. And By the I way, Diane, Diane Venora making a second uh, appearance on yep. Recotopia. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I think it's a pretty cool scene where they very stealthily sneak up on this hut, uh, and some men stay behind with arrows, and some men all crash in together. And, of course, what, what they find is horrific uh, the bodies have been slaughtered there's blood everywhere uh and they find a totem that they know to be the wendells this it's a totem of their mother their queen mother who they sort of worship and so they're all like shit that's real they're actually here they're actually back uh and then we get the scene that probably closest resembles the original beowulf poem where they're all sleeping in a circle um in the king's great hall uh, expecting an attack uh, and I love the moment when Ibn Fadlan wakes up in a start uh, and realizes slowly that every other Northman is pretending to sleep and has his oh, eyes and yes. ears wide open. Um, and then they are attacked uh, by what look to be bear-type walking on hind leg creatures. We're going to find out. You probably already know. They're just men. Uh, mm -hmm. In the book, this is based on they're descended from Neanderthals, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so they are sort of wild men, if you will. Um, and uh, they lose a Northman in that battle. Uh, has his head removed and the bad guys take it. Uh, every one of the Northmen kills at least one or two of these Wendels. Even Ibn Fadlan stabs one in the stomach. Uh, but there are no bodies left behind. They take their own dead with them when they leave, mm -hmm. which is adding to their mystique and the, uh, the case for them being, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, demons. At the cabin where the bodies were slaughtered, they noticed that the bodies had been gnawed 
because they mm-hmm. call these people Eaters of the Dead, which is the original name of the film and uh, the name of the book that it's based on. And uh, <clears throat> the next day, they decide to build fences. Pretty good idea. Maybe should have done that the first night. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we see how useless Ibn Fadlan is with the sword uh, because, he, you know, there's a scene earlier where they give him a giant ass sword. And he's like, I cannot lift this. And he goes, grow stronger. Um, so he can't swing this sword fast enough to chop the stick into a spike. So he goes to the metalworking guy and basically asks for a custom Arabian style sword. Uh, and they make fun of him to turn his sword into a knife. Um, but then he shows wah, wah, with his moves because he's apparently an expert swordsman with this thing. Uh, and now he can make the spiky things too. Um, so the, one, of the, one of the plots, subplots of this movie that I don't need uh, and I think uh, clutters it up is this uh, water girl nurse woman <laughs> that yeah, Antonio keeps interacting with and then eventually sleeping with and then exchanging glances with i don't need any of that uh this character's journey to me doesn't need uh a woman at all or a love interest of any kind uh yeah. he's going from a to b uh we don't need any detours but she tells him hey the prince of this village is conspiring against you and has the king's ear and this is one of the weirdest unexplained awesome scenes i've ever seen because <laughs> yep beowulf decides we got to teach that prick a lesson and the way we're going to do it is to kill one of his men in trial by combat after an argument and so the right hand man i never remember his name he's the funniest character in the movie though uh, always yeah. has a smile on his face he starts a fight with this guy who's twice as tall as him uh and they go to trial by combat and the guy's kicking his ass because he's Rocky Balboaing the guy and he's waiting for one final blow where he stands up and gets out of the way and turns it's almost mirrored in that Game of Thrones famous duel too um, with Oberon anyway um, so he easily beats him and, and uh, Antonio's like what you, you were touring with him you could have beaten him all along and he was like that was not that's not the, the point you know now the prince has to think about things he didn't expect and we never see the prince again. Like mm-hmm. that plot yeah. thread is completely dropped. Uh, and I suppose the argument is they they shut him down completely with his plots by this killing. But they even say, man, we could have used that guy's sword in battle tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a costly lesson that we had to teach. Yeah. And it really doesn't make discount Ben Foster. That's who that guy is. I mean, he's, you know, Norwegian Ben Foster. Um, right. That's, that's a good peg there, uh, Nick. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't know if that guy deserved to die, uh, but I really like that scene. Um, mm-hmm. The second night they're there, we finally see the fireworm, the glowworm. And again, there's a child running down the hill. Um, yeah, yeah, a recurring, a lot of this. <laughs> recurring thing in this movie. Um and she's stuck outside the gate. And so uh, Ibn Fadlan goes out and rescues her. And the glowworm from the outset is pretty obviously a bunch of men with torches. But they continue to believe it's some kind of dragon until uh, Ibn Fadlan comes back with the girl and says that it's just cavalry, just cavalry with torches. They still don't realize they're men. They still think there's some kind of demon creature bear things that are just riding the horses. Um and then there's an awesome battle. This movie, by the way, is not super interested in the battles. Uh, and I think that's intentional. When we get to the battles, we get a lot of artistic uh, choices with the audio. And we get a lot of flash pan cutting. Uh, it's not 
a dual kind of movie. Uh, mm. But I think that's intentional because I think we're, it's not about the battles. It's about Ibn Fadlan's journey. And he kills one and realizes it's a man. And he goes on a frenzy. He's like, yeah. they're just, man, I could kill these motherfuckers. And yeah. he goes up to uh, Discount Ben Foster and he's like seething. And the guy says, don't worry, little brother. There are more. Um, yeah. <laughs> yep. And uh, again, they lose uh, some villagers and warriors uh, and they kill some Wendells. Um, and uh, at this point, Beowulf is like, we got to get proactive with these guys. We got to take the fight to them. Uh, if if they're, you know, they have to sleep sometime. And if you have to sleep, you have a lair, I think he says. And so we once again go to uh, <clears throat> an oracle because they're handy in this universe. Mm -hmm. And she says, basically, um, here's where they are. And you have to kill the queen. And then you have to kill their leader, the leader of the warriors. If you do that, you will win. And they're like, okay, great. That's easier said than done. And then the movie kind of turns into a Goonies romancing the stone swashbuckling thing as they sneak <laughs> into this cave um, and stealth past the sleeping Wendells. Uh, and then they are discovered just outside the Queen's chamber. And Ben Foster <laughs> says, Beowulf, you go kill the Queen. Go on. It's, it's all for naught. If, you don't, if we don't kill the Queen, we'll stay back and hold these men off. So Beowulf sneaks in, uh, and the queen's no match for him, but she does dip her long fingernail claw in blood poison and scratch Beowulf before he beheads her. And so by the time he comes out, he's already stumbling and mm. slouching. Uh, and they, they're now out, man. They're about to be overrun. <clears throat> and they hear the sound of the surf and realize, well, this little passage here does lead to the ocean. Question is... Will we die trying to swim it? Is it too long for us to swim? Uh, is the passage wide enough for us to even fit? Um, and we're warriors, but instead of fighting, let's swim. Uh, and it's, mm -hmm. it's this is a, something I've started to notice over the last three or four years in, in doing what we do on videos and just watching movies. The number of times people in movies dive into water in a cave on a hope without any guarantee that you're not going to die. Thankfully, they don't die. They just swim a little bit and yeah. they hold their breath and they come up in the ocean. Um, yeah. So they go back to the village and that's when Ibn Fadlan is informed, well, they're going to attack again tonight because we didn't kill the lead warrior yet and we killed their queen mama and they're going to be pissed. Uh, and so um, Beowulf is saying to him, uh, I want you to write my story after I'm dead. And this is suggesting that you know, Ibn Fadlan is the author of the Beowulf poem because that poem in real life, the author is unknown. Um, and I think that's kind of an interesting little twist. Also, I meant to tell you, Ibn Fadlan is a real person um, who really did go to the north, but he went to convert people to Islam, and that is where the connections and similarities end. Um, mm -hmm. But I did think that was interesting that they chose to write this about an actual uh, real person. Um, so anyway, uh, the northmen go out to meet the oncoming army, they know they really just need to kill the leader. And then they see their hero, their boss, Beowulf, stumbling down in the mud to face battle with them. And again, movie's not terribly interested in the details of the battle. But I do love that just before this battle, they start their Northmen chant again. Lo, do I mm -hmm. see my ancestors. And this time, Ibn Fadlan joins them. And this is, 
I realize the movie isn't perfect, but this is this is the completion of his journey. He is now a warrior. Uh, he was a poet. Now he's a warrior. And I get chills when he starts chanting that with them. There's mm-hmm. a lot of whip pan sword play, but we do get to see Beowulf pretty easily dispatch the leader of the Wendell army. And as foretold by the Oracle, a horn sounds and the Wendell retreat. I don't know how we assume they're never going to be a problem again because uh, they still live pretty close and tend to eat flesh. But uh, without their two leaders, they are disbanded. They take off. And Beowulf, in what I think is a pretty badass moment, sits down on the front fence, slams his sword in the ground and dies. Um, mm-hmm. And the final thing we see is Ibn Fadlan on a boat returning to his homeland, thankful for his growth and writing the story of Beowulf and the Northmen. Um, so there you go. That is my recap with some of my uh, internal feelings about this movie. Chris, how, how did you feel about it walking through it this time? All right. Um, I don't think I saw this movie ever before. Um, this came out during the time that we were both at Hollywood 27, I Mm -hmm. believe it came out in 99 and it came out in that we, I think it came out around, I didn't look at the release date, but didn't it come out like in August or September or something like that? It feels like it came along, uh, a lot of similar kind of movies or, or whatever going on at this time. Yeah. August 27th. Good call. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing the scene that you're talking about where uh, he's reading the lips and, and, and uh, getting the syllables and all that. And then he finally learns the language and all that. I remember that scene. So this is the first time I've watched this movie. Okay. Um, uh, so I like this movie. I just think that the, this, this feels like it was clearly edited and cut to death. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're, you know, you're talking about these badass scenes that then end up not doing anything, uh, overall. Cause I was sitting there I knew immediately what you were talking about when you were going to, when you were about to say, this leads to this scene where it's, it's awesome, but it doesn't mean anything. And I was like, it, you've gotta be talking about this scene where they fight dude. And, yeah. and it's like, and, uh, and there's like some, some idea where he's like, he's that after it's done, he's like, yeah, I had to make him see, I had to, I had to fight him this way because so that he would see something that he's not seeing or something like that. And I, I don't know. I couldn't, I had a, had a hard time uh, on that one, but I like the action in this. John McTiernan has always uh, been very good at action, whether mm-hmm. it's die hard or predator hunt for October. Um, uh, and, uh, and so I, I feel like the action is pretty good in this. I do like, I think the Crichton influence in this, um, if you've ever read Crichton and I've, I had, I had eaters of the dead. I never, I never read that book, but I read a whole bunch of other Crichton like Congo, Jurassic mm. park, all yep. these different ones. And, and, uh, and one thing that about this that I think is very Michael Crichton is the idea of uh, things that we create in our minds. It was like, we don't, the things that we don't, uh, understand, we create a fantasy around them that make them even scarier than they really are. And Mm. in this case, you have these, uh, you know, you have these, uh, people who are putting on bear costumes and have bear claws and all this other stuff. And people who see them think they're actual like bears or demons or whatever you want to call it. Um, and they invent an entire narrative that's not true around that. And you have to have somebody like, you know, Antonio Banderas in here, who's, who, 
looks at things in a more empirical fashion and and uh and tells you know says hey you know what these this is not some supernatural thing and 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 you know understanding understanding that uh makes battle obviously a lot easier you're not sitting there like you know trying to figure out some weird weak point or something you know it's just a man kill him just like men um and i and i love how he solves problems in this obviously he has he's 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 got a problem being an actual warrior and all this and he mm. gets a lot of shit for that but if it's not if, if not for him obviously they don't find this cave and he does the i love how he's he sits there and he thinks about it he think they think they're bears so they probably live in caves they yeah. probably do the that's a really cool idea i love that type of thing um i just wish that the i just wish that maybe this feel I'm an early candidate for uh for a, a super secret double feature on this movie was kingdom of heaven just mainly mm. because <laughs> kingdom of heaven felt like a movie when you saw it in theaters it felt like it was too edited and then when mm. you see the director's cut of it you realize wow there's a really really great movie they left on the cutting room floor and this one feels like the same to me so there's a lot of things in here that i like i wish could have been fleshed out a lot more yeah uh, but in the end i found myself riveted watching this movie so i i have yet to be able to say ah, except for the movies that we saw in theaters like right. ambulance yeah uh you know where i could say this wasn't very good or whatever right. it's just i think this is good it's just cut too much to death it, it has is. to be it has um, if you look into the trivia on imdb and some other places it has some of the most notoriously low screening scores of the initial McTiernan cut mm -hmm. what's crazy to me though is that as much as I love Crichton uh I mean he created a lot of stuff that I like ER was one of his creations and I watched yeah. seven or eight seasons of that show um I've read most of his books uh but if you have really bad test screenings of a John McTiernan film it's 1999 do you go back to John McTiernan director of Die Hard Die Hard with a Vengeance Hunt for Red October, Predator, and say, try again. Or do you turn to the guy whose best movies directed were in the 70s, The Great Train Robbery and Westworld? <laughs> I don't think Crichton has a directory, a directorial history, and they gave him like $40 million to go do reshoots. Really? And that's why this movie feels like this, is that it really is two people's visions trying to be stitched together. Um, and yeah, I think the best way to describe it is it's a collection of really cool scenes that never really get cohesive together. Um, yeah. But I do love the McTiernan-ness of it. Like there's a shot mm -hmm. when they first start the journey where we're right behind them and they're on a snowy mountain and we see in the distance a snowy mountain and they go down off camera out of view and we zoom in on the tiny mountain behind and there they are tiny as ants going in the background and it's just a really cool yeah. transition shot that your average day director you know, probably wouldn't put in their movie i also really right. like jerry goldsmith's score which yeah. is actually one of Crichton's best contributions because there was an entirely different score and Crichton threw it all out and hired hmm. uh, Jerry Goldsmith. And I think it's a very uh, memorable, uh, hummable score uh, that goes mm -hmm. with the, the this film and its big, big moments. All right. We are we talked a lot today. We got to get to a couple of things here. The super secret double feature. 
be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. A lot of number uh, movies being pitched as the super secret double feature. Edge of 17. Obviously went rant. <laughs> what was that? Edge of 17, 16 blocks, 21 grams. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, okay. So I ran the gamut on this one. Uh, the first one that I thought of was Game of Thrones, just because of all the people from the north. There's this. Oh, yeah. There's this creature this mystical army coming from some place that they we need to kill and we need to get everybody on board and all of that game of thrones came up um the two uh immediate northman type movies that came to mind were the northman mm-hmm. and uh, valhalla rising the nicholas winding refn movie that came out um or nicholas winding refn um that uh that has uh, mads Mikkelsen in it um so those all swirled around uh, my head and they ended up on two choices and i've gone back and forth on this one and i want to give you my ultimate choice here i'll the first one that had strong consideration to be in to be the double feature movie was the uh the last samurai um the the idea of the last samurai is that tom cruise is you know he's not a part of this culture that he's being brought into but he's already a badass uh, person and he's being sent in to train mm-hmm. an army. Uh, and, and it's, and it's the, it's the battle of old versus the battle of new and all that. And it fits in that manner that, that cruise is a, is a, is a fish out of water type yeah. of thing. And there's, there's a battle to be had and whatever. Uh, so I think though, I think that would be a good one, but I'm going to give you a kind of an offbeat one. And we've already said the name of this movie several times already. Hmm. The hunt for Red October is what ended up for the double oh. secret, super secret double feature on this. Not because not, not only because McTiernan directed it, but it has some similar moments uh, in it. First off, you got to start with Alec Baldwin, who is the Antonio Banderas of that movie. Alec Baldwin is a guy who is not really a Navy man, or at least not seen as a Navy man. Uh, Jack Ryan is not, he's, he gets some respect somewhere in the middle of the movie where Fred Dalton Thomas is like that kid did traction, blah, 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 for two years and blah, blah. Um, but, uh, but he, he's the brains. Everybody else is the brawn and, and there's some, some brains, you know, Scott Glenn and, and others have some brains, but it's really Alec Baldwin who's saying, this is what's happening. This is what you, we need to think about and whatever. And then the mystical creature of this movie is the silent submarine mm. that Captain Ramius, a.k.a. Sean Connery, is piloting. And you think, I'm piloting, I know I just fucking just everybody got just... <laughs> Everybody in the fucking sailing world just fucking wanted to throw their TVs through the screen when I said that, uh, that he's captaining in that, in that it's, that's the same. It's, it felt like the same kind of thing to me. Yes. It's, it's, it, it, the, the idea is first off that the silent submarine even exists and that he would even possibly use it to attack the United States. Uh, and it takes Jack Ryan to come in and say, and think about this logically. And like, I know this man and I know what he's up to and I, whatever. Uh, so it ended up, that was what I, where, where I went. I thought, yes, there is a McTiernan connection here that I don't know if we've done yet. I don't know if we've done a director to director, um, thing like that before, but, um, 
it felt right to me because there's so many elements in it if you look at it a certain way. So, um, so that's uh, that's where I went on that. I can one. dig it. It's it, it by the end he earns the respect of the Braun uh, because he shows some Braun himself and going after the saboteur and um, <clears throat> so yeah, I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a Matiernan hound, so I'll take it. Uh, yeah. But I do want to let you know the Last Samurai is on my mega long list of big recommends. I love mm-hmm. that movie. So another Edward uh, Zwick, another Ed Zwick who really almost never misses, even though mm-hmm. a lot of his movies kind of fall below the radar of the blockbuster mainstream audiences. Um, well, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad that it didn't say it if that's the case, because that way we can have uh, we can have you know a, a completely quote unquote clean. A uh, big recommend that has not been mentioned before. So, right. uh, so, uh, uh, so yeah, there, there. That's where you go. It, it, it would have been a perfectly fine uh, double feature. I think it works well with it. But uh, I wanted to go a little bit offbeat on this one. So, all right. What about next um, week? <clears throat> next week's homework? We're going to continue the comedies through the decades, and once again was trying to find like Abbott and Costello and stuff like that. But those Abbott and Costello movies are just they have to pay for them and uh, even this even this movie you have to have hbo max to see it for free but since it's on at least one mm-hmm. and you can rent it in other places i decided to go with this one and this one is a pretty obvious choice we're in the 1950s it's some like it hot um Ooh. uh we're getting into billy wilder territory here and this is a classic through and through it is a very funny movie and might be timely uh in this day and age to talk about some like it hot uh like you know you know you thought you think that stuff like this didn't fly in the 50s this was a huge hit back in the 50s so Mm -hmm. uh so uh there you go that is uh that's the movie for next week i this is on my list of shame i've never seen it and so um one of the reasons i like doing this show is it's helping me slowly get through that list um mm-hmm. and i'm very much looking forward to this uh because yes it does have a stellar reputation um yeah i think that's gonna do it we don't really have much time left today but um chat as always you guys are awesome even Absolutely. when you're trolling us with numbered titles of movies chris you want to take us out <clears throat> yep all right well that's gonna do it for this episode thank you guys once again for sh- uh for uh for listening to us and everything so we haven't gotten to questions the past couple of weeks but we will get to them again i promise mm-hmm. when we're not so verbose mm-hmm. and over talkative like we did were today anyway that's going to be it for this episode we'll see you next time bye everybody bye part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinema sins chat with us on the cinema sins discord at discord.gg slash cinema sins or cinema sins twitter at cinema sins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinema sins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinema sins.com